Well, as you know, Jesus has a lot of things he wants to teach us about. Jesus has a lot of things he wants to grow us in. And uh, when it comes to uh, the Bible, the preaching of the Word, we're going through the teachings of Christ this year. Um, And Jesus wants to talk to us about prayer this morning in his Word. Let me begin by asking you to imagine something. Imagine. Have you heard those, uh, the movie uh, lead-ins where, where that guy with the deep voice says, imagine a world where, and then it's like, you know, people are made out of marshmallows and only, one, you know, imagine a world. But let me ask you this. Imagine a world where God undid everything he's ever done through prayer. Imagine your life tomorrow, if you wake up, and God decided to just reverse everything he's ever done in prayer. Every yes turned into a no. Would your life be different? Would your life be different? If God undid all answered prayer, I know of people in this room whose health would deteriorate overnight. Uh, I know people in this room whose marriage would break down again. Uh, I know people who wouldn't be married anymore. I know people who would have never gotten married if God overturned answered prayer. Uh, I know people who would not have any kids. I know people who wouldn't have a job. I know three or four people in our own church who would not be alive tomorrow if God decided to undo everything he's done through prayer. Prayer is powerful, effective, We know this when we take time to think back and remember what God has already done through prayer. We know this when we think, wow, how my life would be different, how this church would be different if God reversed every answered prayer. Even though we know how powerful prayer is, we don't pray like we should. We forget the strength of prayer. And Jesus wants to talk to us about that problem today. Jesus wants us to pray like we've never prayed before. He wants us to understand the limitless, boundless power God has placed in prayer. And based on that, in 2014, if I were to ask you, how's your prayer life? I want you to respond in one word. Incredible. Incredible. Let's pray, and then we'll let Jesus teach us about prayer. Lord, you know all things, and you know, as you walked the earth, Jesus, you know the power of prayer. You prayed. God the Son prayed. We know you took on full humanity, and you understood that with that came an unbelievable access point through which divine blessing can be poured into this world. You knew that. Lord, thank you for the example you set. We pray that your word, your teaching on prayer today would get our prayer life where it needs to be, would take it where it's never been before. And we ask this in your name. Amen. Open up your Bibles to Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11. Uh, Let me give you a little context here so that you know what's going on. Uh, Context. This is Jesus' last week on earth. He knew when he was going to die. And this story happens during his last week on earth. Hey, if you knew this was your last week on earth coming up, I have a feeling you'd be highly selective about what you put on your schedule, right? Highly selective. In my last week, I got to... Well, 
in Jesus' last week, he made sure to make sure that he taught his disciples about prayer. Pretty cool, while Jesus was on the earth, you could just walk right up to him and be like, my back is killing me. I mean, can you just please do something about it? But he's going up, right? So they need to now get used to the old-fashioned technology of getting on their knees and actually waiting and looking up and asking. He's got to get them ready for that. In addition to getting his disciples ready, he's also getting the Jewish people, the nation prepared for the judgment that is going to come because they're going to kill him. Okay? So he's getting the people who lack faith ready, and he's getting the disciples ready for his departure. So let's look at Mark chapter 11. Verse, we're actually going to look uh, back at verse 12. On the following day, when they came from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went out to see if he could find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. You might think it'd be pretty awesome to walk with Jesus for a day or two, right? But I guarantee you, if you did, he'd do some weird things. Things that make you scratch your head. They're on their way to Jerusalem, and Jesus turns and goes towards this tree, and he starts talking to it. In fact, he starts yelling at the tree. (laughs) He's angry at the tree. The disciples are like, we're going to the temple. What's he doing? He's talking to a tree. Why why is he talking to a tree? I don't know. What did he say? (laughs) He said to the tree, "May, (laughs) may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And then they just kept walking, and they're all like, why did he just yell at that tree? It, like, is he upset about something? <laughs> okay, well, we have to use the context to figure out what's going on. He's on his way to the temple, okay? He had just cleansed the temple because they were filling it with offensive things to the Lord. Then he curses the tree, and shortly thereafter, he's telling people, how the whole temple is going to be torn apart, every stone is going to be thrown down, and God's judgment is going to fall upon them. He yells at a tree for not bearing fruit while he's going and messing up the temple system. Do you see how these two things go together? He's using the tree as an object that stands for the teachers in particular of Israel, but the nation as a whole. You are not bearing fruit. You are not giving me what I'm expecting from you. May you never bear fruit again. He issues a word of judgment against this tree as a symbolic way of showing what will come later, 40 years later, on the the leaders in Israel. Okay, So it's an object lesson. Now, reading on in verse 20, in verse 20 it says, As they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. Like top to bottom, this thing was dead within 24 hours. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look! I love Peter. They're all walking by, and Peter's the one who's like, Hey, everybody, wait! Jesus! You are not going to believe this? This tree you yelled at died. And Jesus is like, right, because I told it to. (laughs) It died! Verse 22, and Jesus answered them. Now, Jesus takes them in an interesting direction. Uh, You see, we understand clearly, even though Jesus could have used this as a sermon... He could have told them about how those who should produce spiritual fruit and don't are going to be judged by me. And my voice has the power over nature and over humanity. He could have told them that sermon. See, but he didn't want his followers of faith to be afraid of condemnation. So he used that same miracle to teach the disciples about faith. Isn't this great? 
In fact, in the account of Matthew, the disciples said, how did this happen? How did you do that? Answer, take a guess. Prayer. He uses this to show them it was prayer through which I made that tree die. Let me talk to you about prayer. So in verse 22, and Jesus answered them, have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. Wow. Unbelievable passage on prayer. Jesus gives us three things we need to understand about having an effective prayer life, about having an incredible prayer life. Here's the first thing you can write down. Uh, How should I pray? Well, pray boldly, believing God will answer. Write that down. Pray boldly, believing God will answer. He says, how how did that tree die in a day by your just boy? Have faith in God. Then he even creates an even more amazing picture. Not only did through prayer I kill this tree in a day, but if anyone says to this mountain, (laughs) be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Now, this stands for a couple things. First of all, I think he was referring to the uh, Temple Mount in Jerusalem. Take a look at Jerusalem up here. Jerusalem sat up on a mountain or a hill. This today is where the um, Muslim place of worship, the Dome of the Rock, is. But this right around here is where the temple in Israel used to be. You can see the wall around down there. And then see how it slopes down into the valley? Um, So you can see as if Jesus was looking up and saying, if anyone says, take this mountain and throw it into the sea, it'll be done. He was again foreshadowing that judgment would come. This temple would be thrown off the mountain. Okay, He was declaring judgment. But at the same time, he was giving his disciples confidence in the power of prayer. Hey, you think the tree thing was cool? Look up. A whole mountain can fly across the sky if you would just kneel and pray. You know how heavy a mountain would be? Like, what's the heaviest thing you've ever tried to lift or move? I can tell you that uh, many years ago, my wife decided she'd really like a piano in the house. And we found out that 12 houses down, uh, one of our neighbors had a piano. So she said, can you go get the piano? And uh, I love my wife. So I said, sure, I'll go get the piano because I love you. And so I went down to this house and the piano was on wheels. So we wheeled it out into the driveway. And I thought, do I go get the van? And I kind of looked and I thought, no, I can move it. So I turned this piano and I start pushing it. And I mean, this thing is heavy. It's heavy on flat ground. And I went three or four houses on flat ground, and then it sloped up. So I started pushing this piano uphill. And I'm pushing, and I'm not going very far very fast. And this piano is starting to push back. I'm starting having these night, these like flashes of me getting run over by the piano as the piano rolls down the hill. So I'm just trying to keep it steady. And then it gets so hard to push. My heart is racing faster than I've ever gotten it to race on a treadmill. Because I'm like pushing this piano up the hill. And I got to the point where I was two houses away and I thought, I just got to let it go. I'm going to die. I just need to let this thing roll out into traffic and then say I'm sorry to whoever's car I total. But I, because I love her, I did it. I got it all the way up to the driveway, pushed it into the garage, and then I went in the house and sat down. And my heart, 
I thought I was not going to make it. I tasted blood in my mouth. I was like, what did I just do? I'm coming, Jesus. It's the piano. And I, I think I'm still damaged a little from that. Okay, that's like the, one of the heaviest things I've ever moved. And it didn't even ever get airborne. And God says prayer has enough power to get a mountain up off the ground, flying through the clouds, landing in the sea. Hey, Jesus wants you to know that the power of prayer is immeasurable. Whatever in your life you would consider impossible with God is possible. A mountain configuratively in your life stand for an unsolvable problem. You can't fix it. You've tried. You can't fix it. It's a mountain. Maybe it's an impossible opportunity that you can't make happen. Um, it, can be, it can be a person who you just can't fix. It can be a relationship that just won't heal. It can be, <clears throat> it can be a lot of things. But I think you know what I'm talking about when I say a mountain. Um, and this, this sense of a mountain is a bad thing. Okay, this mountain is a bad thing that's in your way. The mountain of Jerusalem was filled with false teachers, people who have already decided in an informal council behind closed doors to kill Jesus. That's what's on this mountain. Those are the people on this thing that's going to fly through the sky. And I don't know what your mountain is or who's on it, but you've got things in your life that are immovable. Things that if you try to lift, you get crushed under. They're, they're heavy. They're weighty. They're there. They're stuck. They're <clears throat> Some of them are volcanic, kicking up ash into the air and burning. It's painful. And you want God to throw it out of your life. Jesus says, pray boldly, believing God will answer. And he says, if you pray boldly, you will see these mountains flying over the horizon. But you have to pray boldly. You have to have faith in God. Now, there's saving faith. Saving faith connects you to the Lord, saves you forever. But then there's walking faith. He's talking about walking faith here. Have daily faith where you're lifting up these prayers to the Lord so that your life is changed. How should I pray? Pray boldly, uh, believing God will answer. He's calling you out. He's calling me out. He wants us to pray with more confidence. He wants us to pray with more boldness. <laughs> this is what we do. We get down in prayer, and then we ask for little teeny-weeny, wimpy, puny things. We don't pray boldly. What we ask Him for is not bold. We look little pebble. If you could just move a pebble, Lord, just a little bit. He's like, uh, let's talk mountains. Let's talk mountains. Jesus wants you to pray more boldly than you've ever prayed before. He's calling for it. He's asking for it. No more small, faithless, insulting prayers to an awesome God who does the impossible. And he wants you to direct prayer toward the mountains in your life that are Giant problems. I saw a picture recently of a big problem that people were trying to fix. Check this out. This is in the sea. But <laughs> I would say that that is a big problem, wouldn't you? Like big rig that goes up in flames. And here's another picture of it. And God says, yeah, this is what prayer is for. Whatever it is in your life that is a big problem, whether it's your finances, 
whether it's your job, whether it's your marriage or just something in your heart that's private, other people don't know about. Yeah, that's what prayer is for. And he says, have faith in God. Whoever says to this mountain, whoever, be taken up and thrown into the sea. Get this, and does not doubt. That's praying boldly. Believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. We have to understand that God has said yes to some pretty big displays of his glory in the past. How do we get confidence? Well, we, we remember what God said yes to already. Uh, maybe when you were growing up, you remember the joy of asking dad for something over and over, right? And then he finally says yes. Maybe you are a dad now and your kids come up to you every, every day with, with all these different requests. And every once in a while, you might surprise them. Can we, can we go to McDonald's for dinner? Sure. He said yes. He said yes. He said yes. We're going. Or can we go to Chuck E. Cheese today? Yeah, we can go to Chuck E. Cheese. He said yes. He said yes. It's like a whole party breaks out in the house. Why? Because dad said yes. God wants you to remember what he said yes to so that you think of him as a good father who wants to say yes to you in prayer. He said yes. He said yes to astonishing things. Let me read this. This is a quote by John Chrysostom. I, I quoted this once before in a sermon, and they taught me in preaching class that if you read the same quote, people might think you're preaching the same sermon. Okay, this is a different sermon. Same quote, all right? Uh, he said this, The potency of prayer hath subdued the strength of fire. It hath bridled the rage of lions, hushed anarchy to rest, extinguished wars, appeased the elements, expelled demons, burst the chains of death, expanded the gates of heaven, assuaged diseases, repelled frauds, rescued cities from destruction, stayed the sun in its course. Prayer is a treasure undiminished, a mind which is never exhausted. It is the root, the fountain, the mother of a thousand blessings. That's prayer. Are you praying boldly? Are you praying boldly? God has said yes to so many things. We need the sun to stay up there for a little while longer so we can win the battle. Yes. Uh, we need this big sea to part, and we need to drag around underneath so a few million people can pass over as we're being chased by Egyptian chariot. Yes. Hezekiah asked that God would extend his life, and God said, yes, 15 more years have been added to your life. A 99-year-old man named Abraham fathered a child, 99 years old, because he prayed. An army of 186,000 soldiers was dead by morning because God's people prayed. He said yes. Dad said yes. He said yes to what? He said yes to that. And then we bring our teeny-weeny little wimpy prayer. God, I know you've said yes to some pretty big prayers, but I've got a pebble. Isn't this what we do? We don't pray bold. We don't pray boldly. We don't pray confidently. We don't bring our greatest burdens into the presence of the Lord. But Jesus is asking for it. Pray boldly, believing God will answer. That's the first thing he's saying to you about your prayer life and to me. But there's another thing. Here's the second one. Write this down. Pray confidently, willing to wait for the answer. Pray boldly, but pray confidently, willing to wait for the answer. The first step of an incredible prayer life is you get on your knees and you ask for mountains to fly through the heavens. But then you've got to get up. You've got to go on with your life, right? So what do I do after the bold prayer? Well, he's talking about now the gap between when you ask and when he does whatever he's going to do. What do, we do. what do we do during that period? Well, look at verse 23. It says in verse 23, 
verse 22. Have faith in God, 23. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. The process should be characterized, the wait time should be characterized by you having full confidence that God is able to do what you have asked him to do. Just how confident should I be? Jesus goes on to say, shockingly, verse 24, Therefore I tell you that whatever you ask in prayer, believe you have received it and it will be yours. Did he really just say that? Now, all sorts of wrong teaching can come from this, so I want to be very clear. Boldness means getting on my face and asking for mountains to fly through the heavens. Then I got to get up. What do I do in the meantime while I see what God's going to do? Jesus says this period should be characterized by complete confidence in God's strength and his ability to do what you've asked. In fact, more than just he can do it, I'm supposed to have this assumption. I'm supposed to expect a yes unless I'm told otherwise. Now, wait a minute, because God's not always going to say yes, right? Correct. God's not a pampering God. He will say no frequently. He will say wait frequently. So this is not a promise that if you pray boldly, you'll get everything you want. This is also not a promise that if your faith is strong enough, then you'll get everything you want. But if it's not strong enough, then you won't. That's not what this is teaching. Okay? What this is teaching is, after you pray boldly, you believe confidently as if you've got a yes until God tells you otherwise. An incredible prayer life begins with you boldly on your face asking for mountains to fly through the heavens then you confidently getting up and expecting a yes until God tells you otherwise. Now, we could add many other things about prayer. Wouldn't you say it's also biblical to be submitted to the will of the Lord? Right? Not my will, but yours be done. Okay, so humility is a very important um, part of prayer. But I think what's, what's unfortunate is sometimes Christians, we don't know how this whole thing works. So we're we're tempted to not be bold because we know we're supposed to be humble. See, so I'm just going to be, God wants me to be humble in prayer. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to go to him and say, Oh, Father, you're so wise. Um, You just do whatever you want. Just you, you do whatever you're going to do. And I'll be fine with that. See, so now what's going on is the humility is decreasing the boldness. You see that? But Jesus is saying it starts with bold, move this mountain, change my life prayers. Then confident, I'm expecting a yes unless something else happens. Sure, this is not a sermon for this, but sure it is always important to maintain a not my will, but yours be done, God, and you are free to tell me no. Okay? Those things all need to be put in the cauldron. They all need to be mixed into your prayer life. Don't let the humility thing make your prayers pathetic. Don't let the boldness steal away your humble heart. You see how they all go together? Yes, bold. Yes, confident. Yes, humble. All three. They all go together simultaneously. You don't have to pick one or the other. 
Pray confidently, willing to wait for the answer. You have to be willing to wait. This is speaking to the reality that you will wait. See, Jesus can't say to you, whatever you have asked, believe that you have received it. It wouldn't make sense if it's already in your hand. You wouldn't have to believe. See, there's no faith component if it's already sight. He's saying this to you because he's telling you there's going to be a delay. Okay? You're going to have to wait. You're going to have to wait patiently. You're going to have to wait. Believe you've received it while you're waiting and it will be yours. Don't doubt while you're waiting and it will be yours. This period between the bold prayer and whatever God's going to do should be characterized by a confidence I'm assuming it's a yes, unless I hear otherwise. You see, and this is not how our hearts go. We see, we want to pray little tiny things that aren't going to change anything. Then we want to assume that nothing's going to really happen. We'll be kind of spiritual and we'll say, well, your will be done anyway. And then our prayer lives are pathetic. This is how I go, if I'm not taught otherwise by the Lord. We don't pray boldly. We don't pray confidently. There's reasons why. But we're warned here not to doubt. Um, I've sat with the wife who doubted that God could save her marriage. I talked to her. I told her God can do it. She didn't believe. I've sat with the man who doubted God can give him a new job. I said, no, don't cut those corners. Just do it by the book and God will provide. But he doubted. Uh, I talked to the man who doubted God could forgive him. He can't, he'll never forgive me, never. He doubted. I talked to the teenager who doubted God could bring along Mr. Right, so she'd rather settle for Mr. Wrong, because I, well, God probably can't do better than this. Doubt. Doubt is devastating to your life. Doubt is devastating to your spiritual growth. And Jesus is calling us out on it. We should pray boldly, believing God will answer. We should pray confidently, willing to wait for the answer while God does what he's going to do. There's reasons why we don't pray. I made a little list here. You might want to write these down. These are in addition to your notes. But why don't we pray? Why don't we pray? Uh, well, we don't pray because of sin. We don't pray because of sin. If we're willfully, habitually, maybe even in a hidden sense, if we're sinning, the last thing we want to do is go into the presence of the Lord because he's going to call us out and make us feel convicted. So sin will put out your prayer life. Uh, we don't pray because we get angry at God. Hey, has God hurt you? Has God made you wait for something? Has God told you no? Has God allowed a trial into your life that you'd prefer he didn't? Are you angry with God? Are you mad at God? Are you hurt by God? That very thing is supposed to drive you into his presence, not drag you out of his presence. Um, we don't pray because we get distracted. It's just the routine pleasures of life, the work, the daily grind, the family. Uh, and, and we tell ourselves we have no time. whole sermon on this last week you can catch online, but Martha calls us off with her to the busyness of life while Mary sits so patiently and attentively in the presence of Christ. Distraction. We also worry. We don't pray because we'd rather worry. You know what worry is? We're, worry is a prayer replacement plan. That's what worry is. Why don't we pray? Why are we so worried about everything? Well, what about this? I know people who can exhaustively tell you everything they're worried about in this life. Their worrying is outpacing their prayer life. Why? Because their worrying is a prayer replacement plan. They won't say this, but what they really think, what they're really acting out is, they're better than God at managing all of the endless uh, uncertainties of their life. If I don't keep it all together, then bad things are really going to... I've got to keep it all up here. I've got to keep it all up here and keep frantically going over and over and over. Why? Because it's my prayer replacement plan. 
making me a God replacement. Doesn't work. Worrying is a prayer replacement. Anger, distraction, worrying, and doubt. We've talked about that. Just thinking God won't do anything when I pray. But let's, let's talk about sometimes unbiblical roots can be attached to this kind of doubt. Um, it's always sad when I hear people, even Christians, or even on Christian radio sometimes, saying things like, well, you know, prayer doesn't change anything. See, God's going to do what he's already going to do. Prayer doesn't change anything. So, you know, prayer is more like me just getting on the page of what God's already going to do. Okay, this is an unbiblical teaching. It's an unbiblical teaching made up of two biblical teachings. God is sovereign and awesome and holy and in charge of every single facet of life from the beginning to the end. True. Right? That's true. Prayer is powerful and effective and God answers it. Those two things should come together and they should increase each one. One should not decrease the other. And it's it's sad when people think that somehow God's sovereignty and his control and his power should make us not pray for anything. And it's, if you spiritualize it, you're basically not praying for anything. You're not. You're not praying for anything. That's not a spiritual biblical prayer life. Uh, God has given us every assurance that prayer changes the natural course of history. Listen, God has given us every assurance in the Bible that prayer changes the natural course of history. He has ordained in his sovereignty to accomplish things through prayer that will not be accomplished in any other way. Don't worry about how those things reconcile in your mind. Just don't let the spirituality of it make you pray pathetic, small prayers. That's not what prayer is for. Prayer is for asking for Everest to fly across the sky. That's what prayer is for. And if you doubt, well, prayer really doesn't do anything. I mean, whatever's going to happen is going to happen. That's going to freeze your prayer life and make you ask for nothing. And it's not biblical. Prayer changes the natural course of history. Every time you kneel down, you stand up to a changed world. Do you understand that? Something changes either in you or through you or for you now or later If you know what the Bible teaches about prayer, that it is what God says it is, it is powerful, it is effective, it accomplishes much, when you get up from those knees, you assume you have a yes. That's prayer. That's biblical prayer. That's bold prayer. Psalm 31.19 talks about how God stores some things up, and the only way to access these things is through prayer. Check it out. We'll put it on the screen. Let's say this together nice and loud. Oh, how abundant is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you and worked for those who take refuge in you in the sight of the children of mankind. That phrase, stored up, I love that. Stored up. This is what our Father does. This imagery of this psalm is that in in some safe place, God has stored up some things, and the person who in a time of refuge runs to him finds things waiting there for him. You see that? Uh, But you have to go to him to get them. Uh, What does the New Testament say? You have not because you you didn't ask. Store it up. You didn't ask. We're to go boldly, Hebrews says, into the presence of the Lord in our time of need to find help. Boldly we're supposed to go. Okay. My uh, daughter Cassie recently got a new game for the Xbox 360. It's called Minecraft. Anybody play Minecraft in here? See, she got really addicted to it, and then she drew me into her addiction. So... (laughs) 
It's this, it's this real cartoony game. The graphics are awful where you can just build a whole house. You can, you can farm animals. You can plow a field, plant a tree. You can go off and fight ghosts and stuff. It's a pretty cool game. So, I, you know, she was getting going, and I decided to go in there and build her a little stone house. So I built a house. Well, there's these, there's these uh, enemies in there that are called creepers. And what they do is they walk up to the house, and they go, ah, and then they explode. And they ruin the house that I spent like an hour building for my daughter. So Cassie says, Dad, the creeper blew up the house. What do you mean he blew up the house? I got to go in there and fix the house up. Then I, I put a wall around the house, right? Well, then the creeper walks up to the wall. Then the next creeper walks up to the house. Now we're back to square one. They blew up the house again. So now I'm looking up the uh, video game designer because I want to go and convert him. (laughs) Because all this work is getting blown up. Not to mention, every time the thing gets blown up, if you're close to it, you drop everything that you've spent hours trying to find. Boom, it goes all over the place. (laughs) So I go back in, and I build a moat around the wall. Then I build a wall around the house. Then I build a house. Then in the house, we find out how to make a chest so we can put all the stuff that we explored and found. Then we can go out, and thankfully I figured out this is now a creeper-proof house. (laughs) Now listen, I'm an earthly dad, and this is a video game. I'm putting all this time into helping my girl, right? And then I read the psalm that we just read, and it says in the NIV, how great is your goodness which you have stored up for those who fear you. See, then I learned that my heavenly Father is up there storing up in a safe place things that in a time of need I'll need to come and get, right? And I think that's what our God does. He's repairing our house, putting walls of protection around it, putting things in a safe place. And then when we come to him, he's got it there waiting for us. See, he wants you to think of him that way. That's your father. That's what he's doing. And the only way he has given you to access these special conditional things that you have to ask for is through prayer. It's it. That's it. And it starts with you boldly on your face asking for mountains to fly through the sky. Then you get up and you are going to assume it's a yes unless God says otherwise. Of course you have a humble heart. Your will be done. This is a bold prayer life. But there is one more thing Jesus really wanted his disciples to know about prayer. He wanted them to know that there's an off switch that turns it off. What? Prayer is so powerful. It's almost like it could do anything. And who could stop if I pray boldly? And yet he says there is an off switch that can turn it off. And I want to warn you about that. So write this down. Pray boldly, believing God will answer. Pray confidently, willing to wait for the answer. And then the next one is pray lovingly, willing to forgive hurts. I've got to pray boldly, confidently, lovingly, willing to forgive hurts. Maybe the disciples were surprised when he said this, but he says, pray boldly, pray confidently, believe you've received it. Verse 25, and whenever you stand praying, forgive. Forgive? Forgive? I'm in prayer time. Forgive means other people are now being involved in my prayer time. I've got things I need, things I've got to ask for. Forgive? What are they doing in my prayer time? Forgive. If you have... There's some things in the Bible I wish weren't in the Bible. Forgive if you have anything against anyone. So, like, here's the first person that I can have something against. 
and here's everyone in the entire world. If they're on that list, I need to forgive anyone. Here's the entry-level hurtful things they can do and say to me. Here's the extremely life-altering, painful, can't-believe-it, law-breaking things people can do to me. If it's on that list, I've got to forgive anyone of anything. Pray lovingly, willing to forgive hurts. Forgive anything against anyone so that your Father also, who is in heaven, may forgive your trespasses. Oh, so now God's looking down and he's got some things that he's pretty upset with you about. He'd really love to extend forgiveness so the relationship's intact so prayer can happen. But if you've got these relational things broken, it makes him withhold forgiveness from you until that's fixed. It turns the prayer life off. And he's saying, warning, you can have the boldness on your face, mountain fly through the sky, confidence, it's a yes unless I hear otherwise, humility, your will be done. And if all of that is in your prayer life, but there's conflict that you're refusing to resolve with an unforgiving heart, none of that works. Why are my prayers getting answered? He's not doing anything I ask. I feel so far from him. Um, Maybe it's because your relationships are broken and you're not forgiving anyone of anything. That's a loving prayer. We have to pray lovingly. God puts us on notice that maintaining loving relationships with all the people in our life comes first. First matter of prayer, how are your relationships? Then we'll get the mountains flying through the sky. This is encouraging because... Prayer is a place where we can uh, process the hurts of this life. See, we go into the presence of the Lord and we've got this baggage, this pain, and what do we do with it? God says, you bring it to me. That's what prayer is for. It's the first thing prayer is for. That turns prayer on. Oh, and by the way, when you, as you become a loving, forgiving person, then you'll, you'll know my love for you as I forgive you and love you. And um, Wow. So the question is, who is it that you need to forgive? Um, it could be your spouse. It can be a child, teenager. It can be a friend or a boss. But if there's a sour, broken relationship in your life and there's an unwilling heart and an unforgiving heart, um, you've got to take the whole file folder filled with all the details that you've documented of all the grievances of what this person is doing and what they've said and what they haven't said and what they haven't done. And then and you've got to give that to him. And you have to forgive knowing God will take your case, punish wrong. But we have to pray lovingly, willing to forgive hurts. So faith unleashes prayer, faithlessness short circuits prayer. Forgiveness unleashes prayer. Lack of forgiveness short-circuits prayer. Both of those things are true. And Jesus wants us to have this incredible, out-of-this-world, awesome, amazing prayer life. That's what he wants. He wants you to pray boldly for so many things in your world, in your life. Without doubt. But the boldness is the beginning. 
The confidence takes you through the process. The humility trusts God knows best. And the love, the love that you have to maintain with others keeps prayer turned on. Hey, which part of the process is it that you feel God is most trying to work on? I mean, maybe it's the whole thing. I mean, I was really convicted throughout the whole week on all this. But is it the boldness? Are you just not asking bold things? Do you need to pray bigger? Um, is it the confidence? Are you, oh, God, he's not going to do much. I mean, I don't, he probably won't. And is it the waiting? Is it the confidence that you exude while you wait? Is that what he wants you to work on, to tell people what I'm trusting him and I'm acting like it's a yes? Is it the humility? Is it the, Lord, you told me no. Lord, I didn't get the answer. Uh, Lord, I'm waiting too long. Is it the humility part that you need to work on? That's not in this sermon, but it's obviously very biblical. Um, is it the love? Is it the, man, I'm bringing a messed up heart into the prayer room. I've got to get some of these forgiveness issues sorted out before God can then move in a powerful way. Where is it? Is it the whole thing? Is it part of it? Is it half of it? Whatever it is, I want to give you a chance right now to pray. You and God. And I want you to ask Him to make your prayer life incredible. I want you to pray about prayer. I want you to pray about your prayer life. So let's bow our heads, let's close our eyes, and let's pray. Jesus, I'm so grateful that you've given us instruction on prayer, but also an example of prayer. I know that you're calling us to mountain-moving prayer today. And I remember you, you prayed on the eve of a huge decision, as you set apart apostles. You stayed up all night long praying for a big decision. Maybe some of us need to do that. You prayed during insanely busy seasons of life. The disciples said, everyone is looking for you. Where have you been? But you had gotten up early in the morning to pray. You stayed up after a long day late into the night praying. You prayed on your darkest day in the garden, going over on your own. Lord, we just ask that we would see your example. If you, being the fullness of God, had to pray because you had the fullness of humanity, how do we get by without it? We ask that you would give us an incredible prayer life this year. Prompt us to pray bold, unbelievable things, impossible things, because of what you've already said yes to. Help us to wait confidently. Help us 
to be surrendered to your will. And help us to keep our relationships in good repair so that nothing hinders our prayers. And Lord, we ask that through our prayers, a testimony would be written in our church and our families and our lives of your greatness and your glory for all to hear. We pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you.